I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to episode three of the Pro Wrestling Index on the Anfield Index podcast channel. I am Matt Topolsky, and as always, I am joined by my color commentator and my co-host extraordinaire, Mo Chatra. How you doing, Mo? I'm doing great as always. How are you? Oh man, I'm doing well. I am ready for SummerSlam, and I'm also excited because we have a special guest with us this week. None other than Dave Hendrick, and everybody knows who Dave is, um, the host of many podcasts and the guests of many more on the AI Network. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. I'm, I'm really happy to be on and look, really looking forward to doing this podcast with you two guys. Awesome, guys. Well, last week on the program, we covered the build-up to SummerSlam and uh, also the NXT TakeOver event, which is going to take place the night before SummerSlam, but... On the program today, we are going to break down the entire SummerSlam card, all the matches, give our predictions, and more. But before we get started, Dave, I want you to warm up the listeners a little bit and tell them what uh, what your experiences have been with pro wrestling or sports entertainment. What made you a fan? So I've been a fan since I was probably seven or eight years of age. Um, I I've drifted out of it. To an extent, I, I'm back watching it regularly now. Like I watch Raw and SmackDown every week, and I even subject myself to some Impact Wrestling each week. Um, <laughs> oh no! But, yeah, you subject for yourself <laughs> for my sins. But and I watch NXT as well because I, I actually I love NXT. I, I think it's the best thing going right now in in pro wrestling. It reminds me of when I used to watch it back when I was young, and it's just like good storylines. Every match means something, you know. There's there's always something happening, and there's less of the the kind of twenty minute monologues, um, which are fine if it's certain people doing them. Like I could listen to Bray Wyatt speak for a long time. Someone like a John Cena, I only I can only listen to him for a short period of time. But my first real pay per view that I can remember was the ninety two. Like that I can remember every match was the ninety two Survivor Series, uh, where Bret Hart beat Shawn Michaels in the main event. Um, and I watched actually watched that card back uh, about a couple of months ago, 
and there's some really fun matches in there. I mean, there's Boss Man against the the legendary Nails yeah. in a nightstick on a pole match. You had uh, Taker and Kamala in a coffin match where the whole thing was Kamala was terrified of the coffin. And you know, back then you had a, like a lot of the quirky managers as well. So you had like Harvey Wimpleman and um, well Wimpleman and and Mr. Fuji, and you know, you had. It was those big tag teams going on at the time as well, like the Natural Disasters, the Beverly Brothers, Money Inc., etc. And I just, I loved that era of wrestling, the early 90s, kind of, the whole 90s, basically, and then the explosion of the Attitude Era. That was kind of the era that I, I kind of fell in love with wrestling. Isn't it just the golden age? I mean, when you really think about it, all the over-the-top, colorful characters and just... I mean, the term superstar really was coined then because you had these mm. guys that were these larger than life, real life superheroes, you know? That's it, exactly. And like for me, like I'll, I'll watch all the pay per views, but the only four that I'll actually stay up and watch live are the big four SummerSlam, Survivor Series, The Rumble, and obviously Mania. And, and like I, I loved back then where those were the only four pay per views and everything was just a build up to those. So, like, even smaller, lower card matches on the pay-per-views got a couple of months of a build-up. It was rarely something that was mishmashed together, kind of laid on. And then as it progressed, and like obviously the, the biggest, for me, the biggest moment I, that I've watched live in wrestling was the Bret Hart-Steve Austin match, like the double turn, because that was sort of the launch pad for what Austin became and the whole Attitude Era really in general. Yeah, that was WrestleMania 13, I believe, in 97. And uh, one of the all-time great WrestleMania matches, but also the one of the all-time great WWE matches. It was an incredible mm. contest and uh, was really a career-defining match, if ever there was one, for Stone Cold. Exactly. And it, it, it was just, you could feel, even watching it, you could feel the audience beginning to turn. Because when Hart walked to the ring, he was the fan favourite. And Austin was hated. And by the time they left, those roles had been completely reversed. And I think it says a lot for how good those two were at telling the story. And I think that's an art form that's been lost to an extent. I think there's still certain guys around that can do it. Um, But I think a lot of the storytellers are are gone out of wrestling now. I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there are two matches that I think about in terms of self-awareness. When, when it comes to the character and the crowd and how to tell a story and how to, to play to the crowd and understand what the crowd wants and what they expect of you. That match is one of them because you saw those roles reverse in the middle of the match uh, and you saw Bret Hart embrace that heel role. Mm. Another example of that for me was The Rock versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 18 in, oh, which, yeah. in which that crowd, there, there was no way that crowd was going to boo Hulk Hogan. There wasn't a chance in hell that was going to happen. And The Rock embraced it. And while he was beating the hell out of Hogan with that strap, he's just throwing the hand to the ear to the crowd, mocking everybody. I just thought it was beautiful. So those two matches really stand out for me. You don't see a lot of that anymore. You don't see a John Cena um, embrace that heel heat in the middle of a match the way those guys have, have done it. Can I can I just before we get into the main run of the show can I just put this question to you both Yes do you think Cena will ever turn heel or is it would it affect too much outside of the ring to turn him heel because obviously we know that <clears throat> John Cena that we see is pretty much 
John Cena. Like, there's no real act with him. It's it's like just like a a hyper version of of what he is as an actual person. And he does like all the Make a Wish stuff, and he's so popular. And obviously, the merchandise side of things is enormous with the young kids and stuff for him. So, regardless of what it would mean for his character, because I I actually think Cena turning heel would give him a, like a, a whole new lease of life, because I just think he's gone a bit stale. But I just wonder if it would be have too much of a negative effect with the other things to stop that actually happening. Well, if I can go first on that, I mean, I think it's more a question of when rather than if John Cena turns heel. It's just too obvious an angle, too obvious a storyline to um, pass by. It has to happen. And uh, when it does, it will be one of the greatest things uh, this business has ever seen because it's been something that's been festering and building for over a decade now because Mm. they've got the perfect backdrop to that angle with all of the booing and um, anti-Cena backlash that he's endured for um, ever since he he became world champion and um, when he brings it all together in his uh, first promo after he turns heel um, they've got ample footage um, to justify his actions and um, That'll be a great angle, but it's more about the follow-up for me. And uh, if they get that right, it will be one of the all-time hottest angles in the business. And it could keep WWE on fire for two or three years if they do it right. So I really hope they do it right when they do it. And it's, as I say, a question of when rather than if. I hope like hell it happens, but I don't see it ever happening. Uh, I, 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 I just I just don't see it happening. Um, John Cena... At this point, in terms of longevity, Cena's run is already longer than Hogan's. It's twice as long as both Austin's and The Rock's. Through that entire period of time, he has been a face. He has been a superhero character. He is Superman. He is the real-life Superman. Um, And I just can't see any way in which WWE would do it. I agree with both of you that it would be the most incredible thing that this business has ever seen. But how many times have we looked at the WWE product over the years and we've said to ourselves, if they just did this or if they just did that, and it makes so much sense to us and we can see the dollar signs in it, and yet it doesn't happen. Um, Cena turning heel years ago in his feud with The Rock was the perfect opportunity for this um, mm. because here comes a guy coming back who's a part-timer who went away to follow other ambitions. And here's 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 me, John Cena. And remember, we, this almost happened in the middle of that rock feud because Cena came out as the doctor of thugonomics again and cut that promo on Raw. And I thought to myself, this is actually going to happen. And then it still didn't happen. And there was never a more perfect moment for Cena to turn heel than during that entire period. And now I, 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 just, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think WWE views John Cena... In the same way that they view competition. Uh, They look at Cena as the type of guy that can be a heel or a face to different members of the audience, depending on what it is that they want to do. So people get to boo Cena because they don't like him. People get to cheer Cena because they do. Just like WWE doesn't look at their competition as being other pro wrestling anymore. They look at it as being all these other things on television from... Um, reality TV to Dancing with the Stars or, or whatever the case may be. 
Um, so they have this this 30,000-foot view approach to how they handle John Cena. They think he's a little bit of something for everybody. And in their mind, that works. To us, the wrestling fans, it doesn't because we come from an era where you had defined heels and defined faces. We had people that we wanted to cheer and we had people that we wanted to boo. And so for us, it doesn't make sense for this guy to continue to come out and say everything that, that you want to hear from a good guy and yet continue to be booed relentlessly. Um, but I, I just I just don't think it's ever going to happen. I, I, I really don't. And I've heard, too, that when Cena was going to turn heel last time, it was actually discussed. You know, they had this new theme music form and they had this whole new outfit and new gear and all this stuff. And, and I just, if they handle it that way, I think it would be awful. You know, I think it would be awful to dress Cena in something other than the jorts that he's been working in for the last 10 years. You know, um, that's what makes people hate him. That's why they hate him. You know, so why, why change those things if he's, if he's going to be healed? So, um, that's it. He kind of needs to embrace it. And, you know, just as you were speaking there and you were talking about the feud with the rock, the raw, the night after the, the, you know, the, the payoff match with the rock, I thought that was going to be the night he turned heel. And then obviously Lesnar comes out and just destroys him. And then you were like, oh, well, like, what was the point of this whole thing of him bringing back that Dr. Togonomics uh, persona, you know, slagging the rock off, saying all these different things about him, you know, and building really good heat. Yeah. And then and then just not following through. Like, I, I just didn't understand it at all it would have made so much more sense for the rock to come down there to have been a handshake and then for cena to have attacked him or you know whatever way they were going to go about it and then cena just to rip a promo on the crowd and say whatever like as you said you know i'm the guy who's here every night this guy's been away for seven years he comes back and you all love him so like you know and and then all of a sudden lesnar comes out and just ruins it all so i don't know i i think i I, I I don't I don't think it'll happen. I think it really should, but no, I, I think I think it's actually too obvious. So that's why I don't think they'll do it. I mean, the reason I think it will happen is because there's a certain point in time when John Cena will no longer be an appropriate face for the eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds that currently support him. He's 38 years old now, and um, you know, I think once he's past 40 years of age, I think it'd be very hard for him to pull off that gimmick um, as a favourite for the eight and nine-year-olds. And uh, it'd almost be seen as too old for them. And, um, you know, he, bear in mind, he started this gimmick when he was in his pretty much his mid-twenties. Um, so he's still doing well to pull it off, but there's a certain point in time at which I just don't think he can authentically carry it off. And at that point, that's when it's time to pull this angle. So I don't think it's something that needs to necessarily happen in the next year or two. It could be three, four, maybe even five years from now. Um, but there'll be a certain point when that has to happen because I don't think it's a gimmick that he'll be able to pull off. His whole gimmick is based around uh, marketing himself towards young kids and um, and the female audience. And also with the female audience as well, um, once, he, once he's into his 40s, uh, Again, I don't think he'll have the appeal of the guys that will be on the roster who will be in their 20s. So that's the time I think he will go that way. And um, I think that it's a case of when, Ron, if. Well, you know, the thing is, though, is who comes up? 
because I think this is one of the reasons why Cena has had the tremendous run of success that he's had as the face of uh, of WWE. Uh, who who comes up? I mean, if you look at the guys that have come along during this period of time, one of the first that comes to mind, the alternative, the the Batman to the Superman, if you will, is CM Punk. But Punk didn't stick around. So I mean, you know, and and, and he wasn't necessarily as marketable. To the kids, uh, as, as John Cena is. Um, I look at that roster right now, and I mean, and even this SummerSlam card that we're going to talk about in a few minutes is main evented, double main event. Three out of the four people that are involved in this are all over the age of 35. Um, one of them, this is probably his second to last match in The Undertaker. Brock Lesnar's a part timer, and I mean, he's, he's not the future of the company. Um, and you have Seth Rollins, who, uh, are, you know, arguably is one of the best heels we've ever seen, but he's a heel. You know, I, I just, I don't know who the next guy is that comes up, uh, to become that, that huge star, that, that next John Cena. And I don't think that he's on the roster now. And I don't think he's in NXT right now either. So. Well, when John Cena was around, um, in Ohio Valley Wrestling, um, coming through in that developmental territory, about 14, 15 years ago, um, it was hard to see him being the future of the WWE at that point in time. Even when he debuted in 2002, um, I simply didn't see anything really in him that shouted out future main event to me. But the WWE decided, right, let's give this guy a push. Um, let's hand him the ball and let's see if he runs with it. And, and he did. And um, sometimes these these things just evolve and... Uh, naturally come out of nowhere and i think that there's probably people on the roster who could just catch fire with the right kind of push and um yeah i I think there's nobody that's obvious and that's a standout performer who you say yes that person definitely two three years from now can take over the mantle um from john cena but um in the same way when the rock and steve austin were headlining WWF back in the Attitude Era, we didn't really look at John Cena in Ohio Valley and say, yep, that's the guy who's going to take over from these guys. So things can change, and with the right booking, and also with talent also developing themselves, um, somebody will emerge, and they always do. And uh, I've got no worries that WWE will find someone. The the last thing I'll say on this one, and then obviously we've got the you know a good show to get through, is it has to happen organically. For me, they tried to force feed Roman Reigns into that role in the run up to WrestleMania, and immediately the crowd turned against it. The natural successor to Cena in terms of being the super face and you know the the one everybody can relate to because he's just a normal guy is probably Daniel Bryan, but obviously his future's hugely up in the air. So I have to say that there's nobody that I can look at and say can become that next scene. Someone like Wyatt, you could look at him as maybe becoming something similar to what Austin was in that anti-hero type role where he's a face, but he bends the rules. But there's nobody to be that clean cut guy like Cena unless we get a fully fit and healthy Daniel Bryan. Uh, You know, I I think... I think Roman Reigns has a chance to still salvage this thing, but, but he needs a, I think he needs a run as a heel first. He needs a good run as a heel first to get out all this bad blood that exists 
from all the fanboys and smarks that think that he doesn't deserve it. And I think if you get that nice heel run where um, he's just crushing guys and he's not giving a damn, when he turns back face, he's going to get a huge pop. And then I think uh, the machine will be able to get behind him and, and, and the fans will be right there with him. I agree. That's a great point. Well, we're going to move on to um, <laughs> speaking of uh, larger than life characters. Let's talk about China for a minute, guys. Um, she has said some pretty the defamatory things about WWE and about Triple H. And apparently there's a report, a few reports out there, actually, that she bum rushed Triple H at the funeral of the late Rowdy Rowdy Piper so that she could apologize for her comments. Uh, Sean Waltman on Twitter, also known as X-Pac, uh, commented on this and said that um, she was all but tackled by security and, and hauled out of there because of this. Uh, it's really kind of sad what's what's happened to China. And I wanted to get uh, the opinions from both of you gentlemen on this uh, in regards to what she said and what she's done. I mean, she's she's accused Triple H of um, domestic violence in the past, which she's now saying uh, she made up. So what, what what do you think of all this? I think that uh, she's a very unfortunate individual. Um, she was somebody who obviously uh, was a big, big star in the WWF back in 1999. She really was one of their top drawing acts. She was... A ratings mover as well and uh, she had something quite special at that time but um, for one reason or another her life has just fallen apart and it's um, fallen by the wayside and she's lost her way in life generally not just career-wise and um, she's made a lot of bad decisions and um, I think that perhaps the people that have been around her at times over the last few years have certainly helped and um, as a result of that she said things and done things that she probably would regret, but um, you know, there's been there's been other issues as well, and uh, she's been in and out of the porn industry, um, which is never the most ideal kind of career kind of uh, choices when you want to have a steady, uh, coherent uh, approach to life. But um, nonetheless, I think that she has finally, at the age of forty four, realised actually I've made a bit of an embarrassment of myself the last fifteen years. Maybe it's time to start growing up and uh, actually acting my age, which would be quite nice. And so I think that's part of the reason why she perhaps went up to Triple H at uh, Roddy Piper's memorial um, this past week and uh, looked to make amends. I don't think Triple H will accept the apology because there's just too much bad blood and there's just too much that's happened, which he really, really was upset about. So as much as she'd like to make amends, as much as she'd like to become a WWE Hall of Famer, which is also talked about, I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think that um, Triple H will steer well clear of her. And I think that Stephanie will certainly try and make sure that happens too. I, I, and you can't really blame him, to be honest. I mean, the things she said that he did to her, like, this is a family man. This is a guy who's got a, a you know a career and a life and kids and a wife and all these different things and f uh, you know that that type of allegation could, could ruin everything that he's worked very hard to build. So I don't blame him for not accepting her apology. I mean, China is you know she's one of the if you think about the attitude era, she's one of the people that pops to mind within the first couple of minutes because she was a big part of it and she was really a trendsetter and a bit of a trailblazer in terms of 
you know, uh, making the women more accepted. Um, they didn't all have to be all the blonde hair and, you know, pretty looks and stuff. They could get in and mix with the men a little bit and whatever else. And, you know, she's just another sad wrestling tale, unfortunately. And, you know, if you think about the great women in wrestling and the ones that spring to mind from kind of the 90s and 2000s, you've got uh, Sensational Sherry passed away. Um, Miss Elizabeth passed away young, you know, and they both passed away very young. Um, Sonny, whose life became a bit of a train wreck as well. And it's just that era, that 10, 12 year stretch. They're the four big females that you think about straight away. And, you know, two of them have passed away and, and two of them, their lives have not gone well when the wrestling industry turned its back on them. I mean, it's a hard thing to reconcile, you know, when, when, when the cameras go off and the lights go out and you, you, you've got to sit there with your own thoughts, you know, and mm. I think this is something that, that so many of the performers that have come and gone, um, have had to deal with. And, and, and there are a lot of them that, that just haven't dealt with it well. Um, you know, but I mean, we, we've had guys like Macho Man Randy Savage who went through that period where he said some, some pretty nasty things about WWE and people in it. Um, the same is true of the ultimate warrior. I mean, people forget some of the comments that warrior made over the years. Um, you know, obviously the current situation with Hulk Hogan, I mean, and it always seems like the door still is open somehow that there, there's, there's always a way back. I mean, do you guys think there's any way at all that China could get back into the, uh, the graces of WWE at the very least to get a DVD or a hall of fame nod? If it was Vince making the call and it made sense financially, I think it would. Be, but I think it'll be it'll be Hunter making the call, and I I think it's too personal, and I don't know that she would be big enough of a draw for Vince to pull seniority, pull rank, and take him to one side and say, "Look, this is happening. You don't have to be around for it, but this is happening." You know. We all know Hunter and Stephanie are going to be running this company for the next 20 years, as long as it's around. And it's it's going to be their call, and I just cannot see that they would allow it to happen. And it's kind of unfortunate. You have to feel bad for her in a way, but she has brought a lot of this on her own, on, yeah, she, on, you know, on herself. She's kind of made her bed on, on this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, she has. And um, you know, she's had to lie in it. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you, Dave. Um I just don't see any way that she'll be brought back. I mean, Vince McMahon has famously fallen out with almost every single top act he's had over the last 30 years. And um, at some point or other, they've always reconciled. But I don't think he sees China as one of the top acts. He wouldn't put her on the same kind of pedestal as uh, somebody like Bret Hart or Hulk Hogan or Bruno mm. Sammartino, for that matter. So or Holland Nash. Does- well, indeed, yes, and uh, I don't see her being held in the same regard. So on that basis, certainly her hopes of becoming a WWE Hall of Famer, I think, are virtually negligible. And um, in terms of even being brought back within the WWE family or the universe, as I like to call it, I, again, I don't see that happening. And see, the other thing as well is it's not just allegations that she made against Triple H. She made horrible accusations against Sean Waltman as well. And Sean Waltman and Triple H, as, as everybody knows, are really close friends. And even if Triple H was, was willing to look past it, past what she said about himself, I don't think he'd do that to his friend. 
I mean, she's honestly lucky that WWE hasn't filed a lawsuit against her and destroyed her life even more. You know, because mm. uh, at this point, making comments like that, I mean, can get you slapped with a lawsuit real quick. Yeah. You know. Well, that's right. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is perhaps that Triple H would rather keep the story out of the limelight and out of the spotlight because they had a long relationship and there's certain things that may or may not have happened between the two, um, which, well, he probably preferred to keep out of the news. So I think he'd want to avoid bringing attention to things that have happened in the dim and distant past in his life um, that happened between them. So I think that's the reason why no actions have been taken of a legal nature. But um, yeah, yeah, she, she's lucky that they keep quiet and they keep a dignified silence where she's concerned. But certainly in terms of welcoming her back, that, that's not going to happen, I don't think. Well, speaking of keeping the uh, the door open, if you will, for superstars of the past let's talk about cm punk for a minute uh he did an interview with rolling stone a few days ago discussing um his transition to ufc and even admitted in the interview that uh, he perhaps took himself a little bit too seriously when working for wwe um thoughts on this guys i mean do you think that uh, we'll ever see cm punk in a wwe ring again and um what do you think of this transition to UFC? Do you think he's got a chance at all, or do you think he's going to get his ass kicked in his debut? <laughs> well, I think that he's been slightly ungrateful, actually, about the whole WWE experience and pro wrestling in general. These days, he comes across quite bitter about the entire business. And to an extent, I can understand that. He got burnt out. Um, he fell out of love with professional wrestling. But nonetheless, he forgets that the reason he's come into the UFC without even having fought an MMA contest is because of the fame he acquired through his pro wrestling career. So to belittle the business, um, to dismiss it in the way he has, and he has done over the last um, 12 months or, or more, I think shows that he is a bit ungrateful and forgets very quickly what brought him to UFC in the first place. Um, as far as whether he'll ever come back to the WWE, I could certainly say never say never where WWE is concerned. If his UFC career peters out and amounts to nothing, and there's every chance that will happen because word on the street is he's not really adapted all that greatly to MMA. And um, when he does debut, um, it could only be one or two fights before UFC pull the plug and say, okay, yeah, it was fun whilst it lasted, but there's nothing going on here. On your way, on your way, Jack. At that point, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come crawling back to the WWE and saying, okay, um, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm back in love with the business. Bring me back. I, 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 I think he's going to get his ass handed to him, to be totally honest. Um, I'd love to see him do well because, you know, he, he's a really, I think he's quite a genuine guy. And I, I think he did take himself too seriously towards the end. And I think he got a bit caught up in the whole thing. And I agree with what Moe's just said. I think he has forgotten a little bit about what wrestling as, you know, an industry has given him. But at the same time, I think he is right to feel underappreciated for what he gave to wrestling. And like, he's another one that obviously he he openly spoke about his issues with the whole thing of The Rock coming back and these part-timers like The Rock and Lesnar and that 
been given, you know, the main event where guys like himself, and I'm sure, you know, he, he, I don't know what his personal views on Cena are, but he probably views Cena as a guy similar to himself who's committed their life to this, doesn't have the other interests, doesn't do the other things, just turns up every week for work and carries the company. <clears throat> I, I think we'll see him back in the WWE. I think it'll be probably two to three more years. I think what will happen, he'll he'll have a fight. I think he'll lose. I think he'll have one more, and I think he'll lose. I think he'll just give it up, and he'll do the whole, oh, I'm retired thing, and then he'll get bored because at the end of the day, you know, this guy, this is a man who's dedicated his life to, you know, physical pursuit and, you know, the the to, the sport of wrestling as as much as the entertainment side, so I I do think we'll see him come back, and I think if he does come back, regardless of what happens in the UFC, I think he's going to be it'll be huge. It it would make too much sense from a monetary point of view for WWE not to take him back, and while he doesn't seem like the type who's driven by money, I do think he might just do it because, you know. It's a two to three year run will set him and his kids up for life, so it would benefit everybody. I mean, isn't like isn't isn't he being a little hypocritical though uh, when when he talks about you know part timers who have taken spots or who have taken opportunities and it's sort because in a way it's sort of like the price you pay for the life you choose. I mean, it is entertainment first, and then secondly, here he is doing the same thing now in UFC. You know, he's being brought in because of mm. his celebrity status to draw uh, a new legion of fans or a new crowd. And there are other guys that have dedicated their life to, to mixed martial arts who have killed themselves for an opportunity to get on a UFC card and never will. And this guy's never had a professional fight in his life. And some could argue he's taken their spot. He, he I have heard him say that, though. I, ha- I have heard him recognize the, the hypocrisy in the situation. But... I think he's just sort of in his mind, he's convinced himself that it's okay. Cause this is something he's always wanted to do. And it's also kind of a way to stick two fingers up at Vince McMahon and that over whatever things happen between them. I mean, he did the the podcast with Cole Caban, obviously, and he, he, you know, he put a lot of, of information out there about things that happened. Um, so I, I think in his mind, it's like, it's two fingers up to Vince. It's also the realization of a dream. And it, it, I think as well, I think he's actually motivated by the challenge of it. But he, he does. I, I, I have heard him say, like, it, it, I, I, I understand why people think I'm a hypocrite because I spoke out about it, the WWE. And now I'm do, and he is, he's doing the exact same thing in the UFC. Yes, and um, one of the other things that uh, I picked up on is that he commented about... Um, comments made on Twitter by uh, UFC fighter called Cathal Pendred and um, Cathal had um, made some comments that were fairly derogatory about CM Punk and his chances of making it in the UFC so Punk responded with comments to the effect of well I make more for promotional appearances than you've been making for fights and uh, you can imagine given how many fighters in UFC don't actually make a huge amount of money that comment is not going to go down too well. And already he's not the most popular guy um, within UFC um, just for the fact that he's come in without even having fought an MMA contest. Uh, but I think he just, just doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care. 
he's there to have fun. Um, as he's talked about on num- numerous occasions, it's on his bucket list and it's something he wants to tick off that. Um, but I don't think he's really got a viable long-term future in uh, mixed martial arts. And that's why it'll be a year, two years before um, this dream is over and he moves back into wrestling. I'm sure of that. It, it, it was just too integral a part of his life for too many years for him to just completely divorce himself from it for, for, you know, for the rest of his life. I just don't see that happening, especially given his wife also is a massive, massive wrestling fan and partly retired. Well, in fact, largely retired because of issues that punk has got with, um, the WWE doctor who's suing punk. So, uh, yeah, I think that punk will be back and I'm sure his wife will be back and probably be back sooner. Uh, so in the end, It'll be all smiles, but um, yeah, we've we've got a few fun and games to get through before we get there. Well, speaking of that, um, the fun and games, and uh, and actually, I want to talk about AJ Lee a little bit later on when we uh, we get into the Divas contest. Let's pivot and talk about SummerSlam, which is coming up on August the twenty third from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, first of all, gentlemen, what's your level of excitement? Um, let me take your pulse on this. What, what, do, what do you guys think about this uh, this event? Are you excited on a scale from from one to ten? Where where are you? Well, I'd probably pitch it at about a seven right now. Uh, the main event is certainly one to be very excited about. Lesnar and Undertaker. The angles that they've run thus far, even though they've not been on a week by week basis, have been very very good. The pull apart brawl was fantastic, excellent stuff. So that will be a massive draw all on its own. And Cena against Rollins could be a match of the year candidate. That's got the potential to be fantastic too. Um, But there's just that little bit of excitement that is slightly missing in the build-up on Raw. And um, they've got another Raw to go before SummerSlam. So if they really turn it up a notch for that go-home Raw, then um, that 7 could easily rise to a 9 or even a 10. I'm probably about an eight at the minute um for a lot of the reasons that mo mentioned uh the main event is going to be i i th- you know regardless of how good a match or bad a match it is it's every time we get to see the undertaker we, we need to just treasure that that moment because as you mentioned at the start matt this is probably his second to last match and they've been such rarities over the last few years that you know and, and to be fair to him he hasn't really had a bad match in that time. He does tend to pull it out. Um, well, and that's the, and that's why they uh, they extended the uh, the pay per view to four hours is uh, because of his entrance. So, you know, they needed to build in the time for that. So, yeah, <laughs> um, like I mean, I look at you know anytime we get to watch um, Seth Seth Rollins, I think that's great because he's such a good in ring performer. Uh, and he's, you know, he really is becoming one of the best characters in the industry. Um, I'm looking forward to the the Wyatt versus the two thirds of the Shield match. I think that'll be, I think there's potential there for that to be a real, like old school brawl, like a bit like what we saw. Like that could just descend into chaos. I'd actually love it if it just descended into chaos. If it was just, you know, 15 minutes of them absolutely beating the tar out of each other. And then just descended into chaos, and it had to be pulled apart, and nothing got settled. And then they can build that feud on, with you know a view towards maybe extending it as long as as Survivor Series. So you know, I, I do think top to bottom, I think 
I think this is going to be a good card. The only match I'm not really all that interested in is the Ryback Big Show Miz contest because I just don't like wrestlers like Ryback and I'm bored at the Big Show now at this stage. So that's the only match that I'm not really looking forward to. Well, let's get into it. Um, we'll, we'll we'll start with, um, by the way, I've looked at some of these matches and every time I, I, I see one like this, I, I'm writing down right next to it, Teddy Long. And I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, here's 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 the first one: um, the New Day, Biggie and Kofi Kingston, or Xavier Woods, Los Matadores, Diego and Fernando, the Lucha Dragons, Kalisto and Sin Cara, and the Primetime Players, Darren Young and Titus O'Neil, all getting it on in a four-way dance for the WWE Tag Team Championships. Um, First of all, you know, and Mo and I, we've, we've talked about this on, on the show in the past, that the tag team division is a little exhausting right now in WWE. And the primetime players, I don't think, really have done much for the titles. But then again, neither was the New Day. Uh, what do you gentlemen think about this matchup and, uh, and predictions? Well, I think that uh, it could actually be a decent match and perhaps surpass expectations. I mean, you're quite right, and this is something we have discussed, that the division is slightly lagging behind what it has been in the last couple of years. We talked about how much it's missing. Um, the Usos, they have been, for several years now, a fantastic tag team and an important part of the division and its resurgence as well. But uh, that said, uh, Lucha Dragons and Los Matadores are very good workers, and uh, on top of that, you've got... Kofi Kingston, if he works a match as well as part of the New Day, he's also a a very, very good worker. So the match itself, I think, will be pretty decent. And uh, on top of that, I've actually got to say, New Day are are my guilty pleasure at the moment. I I love their entrance. Their uh, act is um, really lame in a way, but... um, it's almost the so bad it's good type of thing that it's got going on. So for that reason, um, it, it, it's got something to offer for me. And whilst it's going to be going to be a match that five minutes after it's finished, you'll forget about, it's still going to have its part to play on the card. And uh, I think it'll be useful filler. It, it is going to be a throwaway match, really. You know, like it, it's just there to fill time. Um, I, I I agree with both of you. I think the tag team division's gone a little bit stale. I really enjoy watching the Lucha Dragons. I just think they're you know they're a lot of fun. The New Day thing, I it just it it, it annoys me, and therefore it's working. So like I I think they should stick with it because I think that's their aim is to. Do you remember that JBL hate where people he he, he was so annoying that eventually you just began to despise them. I think that's what they're sort of moving towards. Um, it's Look, the, the tag team division misses the Usos. I, I think the WWE, I think they blew the um, the promotion of the Ascension from NXT onto the main roster. I think they could have been a lot more than what they've been made out to be. Um, and I think they were that old school tag team as well. Do you know, they... They could have had, you know, a, a good dominant run as tag champions for six or eight months by just kicking the tar out of people, um, kind of like Demolition used to do back in the day. I think that I think they just it, it got 
you know, botched when they were brought up. So it didn't, didn't help that JBL was burying them on commentary every yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. Which I just don't exactly. understand. If you're a heel commentator, why are you burying heels? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Why, the most why ridiculous aren't you shit. Them up? Yeah. That's thing. Like, I, I really, I, I have to say, I did enjoy the night where um, the APA, uh, the NWO, and uh, the the outlaws were in the ring with the ascension and kick lumps out of them. It's because it was just fun to see the APA there and the outlaws and that. But but at the same time, I'm, I was thinking you're doing long term damage to what could be a good tag team that that could carry the division for six or eight months. And and as you said, the whole JBL thing that's just it's ridiculous. Like you're the heel commentator, you're the one that's meant to be bigging them up when they're trashing other legends you should be joining in that's why J- jerry lawler was so good as a heel commentator back in the day because he would join in um so i mean yeah this will be a throwaway match I-, I i expect the primetime players to um to retain but I- i'd love to see the lucha dragons get the belts i think the two keys here um, is we talked about the usos and, and their absence basically leaves this open to put the titles on anybody because why not? So because of that, and the second key being NXT, which is going to be taking place the night before, and the smarky crowd that's going to be in the building, the really smart wrestling fans and the hardcore wrestling fans, I think the Lucha Dragons get the tag team titles, if for nothing else, the incredible pop they'll get when they win them. Yeah, I have to uh, say that as well. I think that that would be a a good move for the division. It will uh, help to alleviate some of the staleness that's set in. And they're certainly a, a relatively fresh act, only four months on the roster. So I agree that'd be the right thing to do. Well, up next is Dave's favorite match of the night. Ryback <laughs> versus Big Show versus The Miz for the Intercontinental Championship. And, um, I mean, we haven't seen much of Ryback. You know, he's just come back from injury. And um, the Big Show is the Big Show. And The Miz is The Miz. So what, if anything, can happen in this matchup to get uh, the fans excited about it? Because, I mean, again, as we talked about on the show last week, this 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 crowd is going to be one of those Raw after WrestleMania crowds because you're packing, what is it, 21, maybe 22,000 hardcore fans into a building that night. These guys are going to have to watch out because every single one of them may get booed out of the building. <laughs> mm. I'd like to see the Miz get the belts because I just think he his potential as a heel I think is is really big and like he's got the persona he's a re- I think he's a really good worker as well and he's gotten like he got really close to main event level I mean he he was headlining WrestleMania he was WWE champion in that but he's just fallen away by the wayside and. Like he's in this match, this feud that's been going nowhere now for for months. Like it, it seems like it's been going on for years. Ryback is just one of those big, you know, artificial muscles and very little actual in ring ability. Looks like he's always, you know, a half step away from badly hurting somebody. Um, I, I just don't like him. I've never been a fan. And the the big show, I mean, the whole thing with the big show is that he's a giant. He should be dominant. He should be able to go in and wipe the floor with everybody. And the fact that he's not kind of kills the whole point of him, in my view. Like, 
that's why Andre was so great because he just never lost. And then when he did lose, it meant something. And by the time he lost, he was pretty much done. Whereas the big show, we've been watching him lose for years upon years. I have the same issue with Mark Henry. You know, and I just, those those are two guys, well, actually Ryback as well, that I would just like to see shifted away and, and sense anywhere, anywhere. Send them to TNA, just give them a present. Here you are, lads, Christmas <laughs> present. You know, and let the big show go to TNA. And if the big show went to TNA, he could go in and annihilate everybody for six months and it'd be great. It'd rebuild his career. But I just, I, he's just one of those guys that's going absolutely nowhere in the WWE. Yeah, this is a match which uh, certainly doesn't excite me. On a scale of 1 to 10, this is certainly towards the bottom of the scale. I do think that it's the Miz, though, that is bringing the excitement down for this one. I have to pin the blame squarely on him. The reason for that is the big show has been, and even quite recently was, a main event act with the right opponents and in the right scenario, um, he is a headliner. Um, Similarly, Ryback also, um, certainly earlier in the year, um, had been doing some uh, pretty decent stuff um, higher up in the roster. Miz, in contrast, had been a comedy act um, with Miz Dow, and um, that was an angle where, again, the fans were shitting all over him. They really didn't care much about him, and they were only interested in Miz Dow. Um, but to an extent, you've got to give him credit because he's such a good heel that, that that's part of the reason why Miz Dow was getting over. Um, but nonetheless, the, fan, you know, the fans have been conditioned to see the Miz as a comedy undercard act and by bringing him against guys who've had a high profile in the company over the last 12 to 18 months um, I see it as him bringing those two down that said I think that he getting the title would probably be the right call and so I do agree with you uh, Dave that um, if he was to win this um, that'd certainly take this in a different direction and it would end this angle because I'm, I'm just certainly sick and tired of watching this every week so let's see the Miz get the title and then perhaps bring Miz Dow back. Um, his whole Randy Savage thing obviously had to end uh, rather abruptly. So let's uh, bring that back. I think that angle still had a bit of mileage left in it. And in the meantime, they could take show and ride back in a different direction. But I'm not sure which direction they can take show in because he's been in every single direction you can think of. He's had, I think, 40-odd um changes from heel to face to heel to face well, since ridiculous. he's been in the WWE. It's ridiculous. So, it's ridiculous. Well, and every time is. you point it out, every time you point it out to someone who's an apologist for bad booking, they'll always talk about, well, you know, it's a it is a reality based error and all that nonsense. I mean, this is this I think is a classic case of not doing a good enough job of protecting your big guys. And and Dave, I think you made a great point about it. With Andre Andre didn't lose a match for 15 years, or at least so we were told. Um, mm. That's that's what created the mystique of Andre Hogan. It was certainly, if not didn't create it, it was certainly one of the major components of it is, here's Hulk Hogan, a guy that hasn't lost the title in three years. Here's a guy who's seven feet tall and hasn't lost in 15 years, you know? I mean, that creates mystique, but you can't call this guy the world's largest athlete then he does a heel turn, a face turn, a heel turn, a face turn, right about face again, and then loses every time he goes out there. It's just, you can't take him seriously. And then we're meant to buy it when he becomes a heel and spends four weeks on SmackDown knocking people out with one punch. And, oh, he's the most dominant force in the WWE. Well, no, he's not, because there's 10 years of, of him losing to everybody. 
He like, lost. He lost to Floyd Mayweather at WrestleMania. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what are we <laughs> they, talking they about? They killed him with that angle. Mm. Now he, I'm sure he got well paid. I'm sure he agreed to it, but they killed him with that angle because he is whatever height he is. Like he's been billed at everything from seven foot to seven foot four through his career. I'm sure he's about seven foot. He's he looks about six hundred pounds at the moment. He doesn't look four fifty. I, I think they're just being kind to him, but. Floyd Mayweather is five foot nine. Floyd Mayweather would have to be jumping to punch him in the face. And I know they did the whole thing with the knuckles and all that, but that that was so stupid. They should not have put the big show in that match. It was just ridiculous. And it killed any chance of people seeing him as a legitimate top end, you know, marquee name in the industry. For as prominent as the US title has become with John Cena carrying it and defending it every week. I feel like the IC title has gone in completely the opposite direction. And I sometimes wonder why the IC title still exists. Mm. Um, Because, you know, there, there's been talk of consolidating one of these championships, which is one of the reasons why it is a title for title uh, match between Cena and Rollins, which we'll talk about later. But um, one title that they, they had at one point, which was actually carried by some bigger stars from Shawn Michaels to the British Bulldog was the European Championship. What do you guys think about that? I mean, would you like to see that come back? Did you like it when 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 it existed? Did it mean anything to you as a wrestling fan? I liked it because I thought it was, you, you know, you had your tears. You, you had your WWE champion. And I really liked the way the WWE champion only really defended the titles on the big pay-per-views back then. They were seen on TV. They bigged up their matches. They had their odd little match and, you know, they'd be in some tag team matches. They'd do run-ins and things like that. And that was great. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Then you had your IC title, which was like, generally it was the best worker on the roster and and the guy who was ready to getting ready to make the, the jump to the world title level and 
now, because the US title has more history to it, I suppose, the IC title has become the third tier. And for me, like, do you remember a few years ago when they brought back the white belt? Wasn't it? I think it was Cody Rhodes brought back the white belt. Right. Like, that was kind of cool because I I remember, like, the warrior with the white belt. I remember Shawn Michaels with the white belt back, you know, before he had the ladder match at Razor Ramon, he had the white belt. So that was kind of cool. But now it just doesn't mean as much. I'd like to see it merged with the with the US title. So you have your world title, your US title, and then your European title coming back in as the third tier. Even if it was a thing where they used it in a similar way to how TNA used the X division in that it's for the... It's a, it's a way for them to promote more of the younger wrestlers. So they're the guys who aren't ready for the middle tier, but, you know, they're really talented guys. A lot of the guys coming off NXT, for example, would be great contenders for that European title. Finn Balor would be perfect for it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, that would be a really good way to bring those guys in. And they could do something with it, like if you, you know, they could they could they could find a really fun way to crown an ice a European champion, like be it some sort of elimination chamber or you know a battle royal or whatever. But find some fun way to do it. Don't just have some stupid little tournament that happens on Raw, and then it all ends in a run in and somebody that's too obvious ends up with the title again. Like, yeah, I think it's a good idea to bring that title back, but it has to have a distinct purpose and. uh if, if if that's the case and if they have it there to elevate younger talents as they're coming through and transitioning over from NXT, then it certainly can serve a, a very strong purpose. And as you say, Dave, um, if they try to limit the amount of world title matches that appear on TV and restrict them as far as possible to the pay-per-views and network specials, then it will certainly mean that those secondary and uh, tertiary titles are of greater value because those are the ones that are being defended on television. So, And it'll mean that the WWE title has more value as well because it's only defended on the pay-per-views. Do you know, there's not a throwaway match on Raw. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it it just means that the titles would mean a bit more. And I think that generally speaking, the last several years, the WWE has done a better job of protecting their titles uh, perhaps with the exception of the IC title as you said Matt uh, which is a bit surprising on, in, a, in a way because it's the intercontinental title that is the WWE um, championship in terms of its lineage and its history and it's the U- United States title that has its um, roots in WCW so it's slightly strange that it's that which is a title that's more protected and more elevated than the IC belt but uh, as we've talked about, it's the U.S. title that could disappear um, in the next couple of weeks, leaving the IC title as the uh, second title by default. And I think it's um, it was a bit accidental what happened as well, because, I mean, you know, we all we all have our, our thoughts. Certainly Dave does on, on Ryback. But I, I think that WWE um, has been grooming him. To be that potential Cena replacement, I, I I feel that way because if you think about it, when he had that feud with Cena, they all but destroyed Ryback because they made Ryback go heel, 
And then Ryback goes heel and he starts doing this shtick where he's bullying people backstage and uh, the whole Ryback rules thing and all that garbage. And um, then he went away for a bit. They brought him back as a face. He got over immediately uh, hot as a face. And, and he is the the Cena archetype. I mean, he's he's a blank slate. He's a muscle guy. He's over with the younger fans, which is exactly what they want. You know, so he's got that real life superhero persona. And then they put the IC title on him around the same time that the U.S. title is on Cena. And you're looking at this and you're saying, well, here's two guys that they've both chosen to try and elevate these belts. Unfortunately for Ryback, he has an injury and he falls off and no one's connecting with the programs that they're putting him in because nobody, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, nobody wants to watch the big show. And, no. you know, and, and so you've got that. And then you've got The Miz who, um, what a fall off for him. I mean, this is a guy that was once a WWE World Heavyweight Champion. But then again, I guess so was Jack Swagger. Um, and uh, and now look at what, what's happened. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll, we'll have to see. But one of these two titles is going to have to go. I've always thought with Ryback that it's like they're grooming him to be the next Batista. And I always thought Batista was who they saw as kind of an heir to the warrior rather than the stick. That the the good guy, but with a little bit of an edge, as opposed to Cena, who was that, you know, the the real pure hero, kind of like Hogan. And yeah. I always thought, so maybe maybe you're right. Maybe that's the plan to build Ryback up to be to feud with Cena in the way Warrior and and Hogan had their big kind of blow off in the end. Right. Well, guys, let's uh, let's move on to. The Divas matchup of the evening, you know, the Divas revolution is in full swing. And uh, look at this. On my notes, I once again I once again wrote Teddy Long next to this match as well. We're seeing a theme here. Um, it is Team Bella, Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, and Alicia Fox versus Team Bad, which consists of Sasha Banks, Naomi, and Tamina Snuka versus PCB, Paige, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch. A triple threat elimination tag match. So this is an this is an elimination match, which means that uh, the ladies are going to get some serious screen time in this matchup. What uh, what do you guys think about this? Well, before that, Matt, what's this whole Teddy Long thing about? Well, here's the thing: is Teddy Long loves to make a tag team match. Okay, <laughs> nobody loves tag team matches more than Teddy Long, and. This card, to me, look at look at all the bodies in the ring that we have so far. The, the first match that we have on the card, we've got eight guys in the ring. The second match, we've got three. The third match on the card, once again, um, what, my goodness, look at this. We've got 12 women. So uh, it's crowded in there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it kind of feels like WrestleMania 2000 a little bit. <laughs> yeah, throwing as many people on the roster as possible. Uh, yeah, this this match um, is all about giving the Divas division more profile. They've talked about the Divas revolution. and For me, the last few weeks, it's been a Divas damp script. It's just been a, a flop, really, introducing Sasha Banks, Charlotte, and um, the uh, other young lady whose name I forget now. <laughs> Becky Lynch. Oh, Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch, exactly, yes. Now, those those three came in 
on the back of some fantastic performances in NXT, and I was really excited when they came in. I thought that this could really genuinely make a difference to the division. But what's actually happened is that the stalwarts of that division, the likes of the Bella Twins, Naomi, Tamina, they've actually dragged down the newcomers from NXT, and um, as a result, the matches are really not as exciting as they should be. And you can't blame the WWE because they're giving these girls... um, a fair amount of time um, to wear their matches on Raw and SmackDown, but the results haven't been that great. And as I say, I think that's more down to the uh, divas in the division that have been there for several years rather than the newcomers that have just come in. So I think that they've really got to try and work those poorer workers, the likes of Naomi and even the Bellas, as hard as that might might be, given who they're married to, um, to weed them out of the division and to bring two or three new divas in and i don't actually see any great strength in depth in terms of the divas division in nxt so they might have to look outside of uh the wwe and their developmental roster uh to bring new talents in to wrestle against the likes of page and um charlotte but um that 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 being said this match is again another filler type match it's going to most likely be the match that they'll place just before Cena and Rollins and also Lesnar and Undertaker. And uh, it will be there to bring the crowd down, as they've often done um, when you've had one hot match and you're about to go into your main event. In terms of who wins, I think it will likely be the faces. And um, beyond that, it won't really be an exciting match, I don't think. I think they'll be given perhaps eight to ten minutes. But... um, it's it's just not working for me at the moment, and there's something that's missing. And I think that something missing is um, down to uh, the talent that's been there for several years dragging everyone down. Well, first of all, the undiscussed storyline here is the fact that the the, the renaming from Submission Sorority yes. Team PCB, <laughs> yeah, which I just think is hilarious, and they they just tried to drop it in on Raw with no real explanation of, you know, they've come out, they've said we're the su- submission sorority and then a couple of days later it's Team PCB and obviously they can't really come out and say why they've had to uh, to do it, but they could have been a little bit more creative well, with well, the name. I actually, I think, uh, I, I could be wrong about this and I'll have to go back and check so correct me if I am wrong, but I think WWE released um, a, a statement to the press about them being a um, a PG company and not oh not, was that what it was yeah and and not not uh they wouldn't let them uh use that name which uh, uh i just okay. think is ridiculous but uh, you know i i mean come on really yeah i mean we've, we've oh, yeah. seen we've seen worse but i mean like i fully agree with what mo was saying i mean i i didn't like the way they introduced um the three girls onto the main roster where it was basically stephanie comes out and says to Paige. Right, here's the two you're with, and then says to Naomi and Tamina, oh, I've got one for you as well. I would have rathered if it was more of a natural kind of thing where they just kind of turned up and, you know, involved themselves in different ways. But it is, it's it's the Bellas for me who just drag it all down. I just, I don't see any value in them. Um, I, I, I think it'll be, it, it'll be an okay match as long, while, while certain people are in the in the ring. But as soon as certain other ones get in the ring, I think it'll just die a death. And as Mo said, it's it's just a filler match. I'd like to see the, the submission sorority, which I'm going to continue to call them, um, <laughs> win win the match. Um, 
because I just think they're well. First of all, Becky Lynch is Irish, so you know we have to support our own. And um, I, just, <laughs> yeah, I just think Paige is is the most talented diva that's been on the roster for the last couple of years. What um. How long do you got? I mean, because I don't even think it's a question of if. I think it's a question of when, at least for me. How much longer until Ronda Rousey's in the WWE? Ooh. I think it'll happen when she goes to make. She'll make. I think she'll straddle the making films and doing WWE on the side thing, kind of like The Rock does, but with a bit more of a frequent appearance type thing. She's got um, a good two, three, four fights minimum left in the UFC through which she can make millions and millions and millions. She's now becoming a a star that's transcending MMA and UFC. She's becoming a a genuine celebrity. She's become very, very well known. Um, So even people who don't really much follow uh, UFC and mixed martial arts at least know who she is. And there are others who will make, an effort to try and track down her fights one way or the other. But that said, she's a big wrestling fan. We all know that. She worked that angle at WrestleMania this year. And I think it's a matter of time before she does end up in the WWE. I think that her UFC career still has some way to go, though. So I see her sticking around for at least a couple of years, maybe three years, before she might seriously start to think, okay, I've made... Millions and millions. I don't need to do it for the money now. Let's start to have a bit of fun. And even three years from now, she'll still be a young lady. And uh, when she comes into the WWE, it's just a case of um, the WWE booking her right. And also, for the first time, really, booking a female to be as much of a star as any of the male performers. Because let's face it, when she comes in, she'll probably be a more famous uh, celebrity than anyone on the WWE roster at that time. So they've got to handle it right. Here's what I dream of, because I, I agree with that 100%, Mo, that she would be just over the moon, huge. Um, and, and I think that her being that big of a star would cast, it would, it would cast a shadow on a lot of the other divas, unless you took Ronda Rousey, Charlotte, Paige, and probably one other diva, and you created the four horsewomen. Then you have these you have these girls standing next to her side on screen all the time. It elevates them uh, because they're 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 right there with Rousey. I I, I would love to see it. Mm. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, Ronda Rousey actually already has um, nicknamed three of her other friends that she's very right. close with as the four horsewomen, right. and uh, they go around making the four horsemen. Uh, sign and uh, that clearly demonstrates her big fans. I think she's even attended uh, pro wrestling gorilla shows out in California. Um, so yeah, she's she's uh, certainly a big fan. I think she's itching to get into the rest of the business. They, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even have to do anything. That's the thing is they wouldn't they wouldn't have to work. I mean, how many times did we watch the Four Horsemen in the eighties? Just show up in a limousine, dress to the nines, cut a promo, and leave. 
I mean, <laughs> that's all. And these, it was incredible. It, it was great. It was great television, and that's yeah. all you need. So, what, I mean, what an easier uh, – this couldn't couldn't get an easier schedule. It's like, well, you know what, Rhonda? You don't have to work tonight. We just need you to show up and look great with the Divas for about 15 minutes and maybe cut a promo. Can you handle that? Sure. Okay, here's your check. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's already a natural talker. She's so good. And uh, – that would be fantastic. And if they work it right and they book it right, it will be magical. And uh, I, I think it will work really well because Stephanie McMahon is clearly Ronda Rousey's biggest fan. Uh, she can't stop talking about her. So, yeah, I think the time that she arrives in the WWE, Stephanie will make sure that her very best bookers, however 30, 40, 50 of them that there are, are assigned to book angles, storylines, interviews, uh, just for Ronda Rousey and um, her group, whoever they may be. So when she arrives, it'll be great. Yeah, and it would make, make, mean that every match she has would mean so much more. So you just hold her back for the pay-per-views. Don't even let her wrestle on television. Just like Brock. Yeah, yep. just turn up, have a little chat, let the others say their piece. As you said, Matt, it elevates all of them. Get whoever it is to come out. They can talk. It elevates them. They get back in the limo, they head off, she turns up at the pay. And the thing is, because she probably wouldn't be there every week, when she's not there, the others can still be there. And it elevates them because they're still in the spotlight, and they can have matches and whatever else, and then she's just at the pay-per-view. I, 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 that's, that's one of the best ideas I've actually heard in a long time. I think that would be really, really good. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> which means it'll never happen which means it will never happen yes too obvious um well let's move on to uh oh hey look guys i have teddy long on my sheet again here here we go uh, <laughs> we have the the green arrow also known as Stephen amell or Stephen amell also known as the green arrow taking on um the man that or i'm sorry not taking on but teaming up with excuse me the man that Gravity forgot, or as I like to say, the man who WWE forgot his first name, Neville, uh, versus Stardust and um, and Wade Barrett, who hopefully sooner rather than later will drop the King gimmick, because uh, that's just come on, guys. It's terrible. You know, it's just it's not working. Uh, I but, liked I liked the bad news Barrett angle. Me too. I really liked when he used to come out on the pulpit, bang his thing have a little moan i thought it was really good it was getting him a great heat you know he's got the persona he's got the look his finishing move that bull hammer elbow like it's one of those old school heel type things this king thing is a nonsense it is it is and you can even tell that he's quite uncomfortable about having to mm. work that gimmick as well it's something i don't think he particularly was enamored about having to um carry once he won that tournament I mean, it's not so bad if you win that tournament and then, okay, uh, you win it and you're known as King of the Ring. Um, but to be called King so-and-so and then having to walk around with that silly cape and crown, that's just a bit too much. And it's it's a shame because Barrett's a very talented performer. He's one of the better uh, guys on the mic in the whole roster. And uh, in the ring as well, I think he's, he's uh, certainly very, very solid. So it's a shame that... He's been lumbered with this gimmick, and it's certainly done his career no favours. 
And it's a shame because Bad News Barrett was certainly going places um, in terms of a character, mm. uh, to the extent, in fact, that uh, Tony Barrett of the Times was being called Bad News Barrett as well by a right, yeah. Liverpool <laughs> fan, wasn't he? So, um, so that, that was uh, showing how kind of popular that gimmick was. But nonetheless, um, yeah, the, I, I agree with you, Matt. The sooner that gimmick is, is dropped, the better for him. But um, it, as a match, again, it, it's not something that particularly excites me, uh, but it's got that unique um, factor of Stephen Amell working. It'll be intriguing to see how he gets on. On Raw this week, his brief cameo, he certainly showed athleticism. So uh, I think that if he spends a couple of weeks down in um, Florida in developmental, then uh, he'll certainly be uh, honing his skills and he might surprise us with two or three pretty impressive high spots. So it might not actually turn out to be that bad a match. Actually, I think this match has a lot of potential to be fun. I mean, Adrian Neville is, uh, I mean, everything the guy does is incredible. Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine that a human being is capable of doing the things he does. And, um, you know, and Barrett is a good worker, so he's going to be selling for Green Arrow. And, uh, and Stardust is, um, uh, you know, Stardust is pretty comical and entertaining. So I, I, I'm actually optimistic for this match. I think it'll be fun as well. I, 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 the King Barrett thing though, it, it just reminds me of them. Remember the King Booker? Yes. And when <laughs> yes. that, and it was just, it was horrendous. And it, I, I actually thought it killed Booker's career in, in WWE at the time. Like, if you're going to do King of the Ring, make it a pay per view, make it a one night tournament, make it mean something. I, it doesn't really mean anything now, but I think the WWE still think it does, and I think they've given this to Barrett as like. A holding thing so like look take this for now and then we're going to elevate you up further you know because like the guy he's the most unfortunate wrestler on the roster every time he gets that big push and he looks like he's about you know to step up to world to world title level he breaks something or dislocates something or something goes wrong like he should have been world champion by now and I think in the next two years, I think he will be world champion. But I think they need to get back to that bad news character and just let him be that natural heel. I actually think that, that um, I think Booker T did a, a good job of, of being handled that gimmick. But it, uh, it was also a case of you saw him on screen every single week on SmackDown playing up to it. And and, and in this case with, with Barrett, I mean, this is a guy that, has been named King of the Ring, and then he's working the pre-show. Yeah. And and that, to me, is what just takes away from all of this. That and the fact that we don't have a legitimate King of the Ring tournament anymore, which drives me crazy. I always That's, thought it was such a great show. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. You know, it and, really they, and they, they, they took it away, you know? And it was, it was the tournament. Like, Bret Hart obviously won it, but when Austin won it, it was like the big propeller for his career. Triple H obviously was booked to win it as well, and it would have been a big propeller for his career. And then the whole thing happened at, at Madison Square Garden. But that's what it originally was. It was to be a propellant to get these guys that legitimacy. Look at what it did for Owen Hart as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, yeah. the Owen Hart had the best gimmick off it. The King of Hearts gimmick was brilliant. It was awesome. Because he had the name and it just suited the personality because he was going with the heel side. It was brilliant. It hasn't worked for anyone else. Like I can see your point with Booker, but I think Booker has natural comedic timing. So he was able to kind of play it in a funny way. Barrett is best when he's real somber and he just comes out and he speaks and he, and he's real condescending. 
that's where Barrett's best. It it doesn't work for Barrett. No, it doesn't. Well, we're going to move on to... Oh, wait a minute, guys. I have Teddy Long written down here again. Another tag team match. <laughs> there uh, we go. So two-thirds of the Shield, Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns, versus two-thirds of the original Wyatt family, Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. I think this matchup personally has loads of potential to be very entertaining and a lot of fun, and there are so many possibilities with this thing for a finish. What do you guys think? Yeah, this one's got me intrigued, certainly. I think, first of all, it's just worth pointing out that this was originally, I believe, scheduled to be a six-man tag. Eric Rowan was intended to be um, part of the uh, Wyatt family reunion where the three of them would go against Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and the returning Sting. But uh, with Eric Rowan injured, Sting uh, was pulled from the match, and as far as I'm aware, there aren't any real plans for him to feature on this show, other than perhaps as a surprise to set something up for another show, maybe Survivor Series later on down the line. That said, um, as you've just pointed out, Matt, this match could go any number of ways, and um, you know there's always the potential for uh, a big surprise and um, somebody like Ambrose to turn heel on his partner range, and that that's certainly uh, an angle and a scenario that's got plenty of potential because I see Ambrose as having somewhat um, gone into a bit of a, a career lull at the moment. He's lost a lot of matches recently and uh, he it's a shame because 12 months ago he was such a hot baby face and he had the potential to become potentially a main eventer, bona fide main eventer, but he's more of an, uh, a mid-carder at the moment and I don't think it's quite working out as a face despite the fact he still gets a pretty good reception most weeks on TV. But um, I think he has to turn heel. And um, if he were to join up with Harper and Wyatt, that would certainly be a very intriguing way to uh, certainly take Ambrose's character, but also Wyatt and Harper in terms of how that would interplay and um, where the dynamics would, would sit as well between Wyatt and Ambrose and who would be the leader of the pack. I think Ambrose is the 2015 version of Roddy Piper. He's great on the mic. He's got the crowd in the palm of his hand. I was thinking exactly the same thing, actually. Yeah, And, and, and I just, going on what Mo was saying there, I, I think he'll be that guy who had that little run at the top level, but will kind of find a role in, in the mid card. I could see him being, you know, a really good intercontinental or European champion I could see him, you know, having his own talk show or whatever. I, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of value in Ambrose. Um, for me, the best rivalry of the last year was the the Ambrose Rollins thing, and I just thought the matches they had together were phenomenal. I think that the Ambrose heel turn looks on here, but just something you said earlier on, Matt, was about Roman turning heel, and wouldn't it just flip the script completely if Roman turned on Ambrose and Ambrose is then left as the one on his own and if you think about it, Wyatt went after Ambrose first and then he went after Reigns when Reigns had come in to help uh, Ambrose against him there's there's a lot of possibilities, now I, I, I don't for one second think that Reigns will turn and side with Wyatt and Harper but 
it would be a nice way to turn reins and really get him built up with you know a lot of heat against him because Ambrose is so over. You know, it, uh, the Ambrose one is the obvious turn, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, it is it is an interesting thought, though. But I, I just I just don't see I, I don't see how they what they would do with with Roman at that point. And then also you, you you're basically leaving Dean Ambrose out on this island. Um, I, I see I see two gears in Dean Ambrose. I see the Rowdy Piper one. I mean, literally, I was thinking that exact same thing when you said it. And the the other side of him is Brian Pillman. And, um, mm, great show. And, 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 you know, him, him working as a heel, I, I just see, I see a lot of Brian Pillman. And I, and I think that the chemistry between Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt's character in the shield trying to coexist. And, and I mean, I, I just, I think there's an opportunity for some really great moments, whether they be comedic, whether they be dramatic, whatever the case may be. And it doesn't have to be a long term thing. Um, you know, uh, I, it's been heavily rumored that the WWE championship matchup at WrestleMania next year could be a triple threat between the shield. Um, and I think, you know, if you're headed that direction, this might be a great place to, to start. That's a really good show. And <clears throat> the thing as well, I mean, I mentioned it earlier about the, the possibility of, of building towards survivor series. And what we could see is that, Ambrose join, joins the Wyatt family. Eric Rowan will come back and join. And then you've got Roman out on his own against these four guys. And you could see them doing different things. I mean, you know, Wyatt has the whole thing where it's, it goes dark and he appears and whatever. He has the two big apes who will come out and, you know, attack everybody. You could have Ambrose kind of even more off the wall doing like guerrilla attacks in the back and stuff like that. Where he just appears out of nowhere. And like kidnaps things, like he's just so off the wall. The Brian Pillman shout is brilliant, um, but then you could have where where Roman goes and gets his actual family, and we see you know the on screen thing with the Usos, and maybe it's a way to get the Rock in at Survivor Series, and you know, and, and put it put him in in a match at that at that uh, pay per view as well. So there's there's a lot of things that could happen if they turn Ambrose here. I, I'd love to see Ambrose and Wyatt together i just think as you said the, the chemistry there could be phenomenal yeah uh, you brought up an interesting point about the rock which um i want you to hold that thought because we're, we're going to get to him in, in a little bit but before we do that let's move on gentlemen to um john cena versus seth rollins for the wwe world heavyweight championship and for the united states championship Again, a lot of possibilities in this matchup, but uh, one of the things that I saw, which was fascinating, is John Cena has a new t-shirt out, and the Cena shirt says 15-time champion on it. Now, did somebody at the uh, at the WWE shop release this t-shirt a little bit too early? Are people not communicating with each other here? <laughs> well, oh, I wow. suspect. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I half suspect um, it could just be there is a red herring just to tease people and say, okay, no, we're not going to switch the title. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that we can read too much into that. I mean, that WWE changes things um, almost on a daily basis in terms of its decisions around uh, where to go booking-wise and storyline-wise. So that that's um, that's something I wouldn't take too seriously. 
What one thing I would take seriously is the fact that Triple H is somebody who's very powerful in the WWE, and he's also a huge, huge wrestling mark. And as we all know, he's a massive fan of the Nature Boy Ric Flair. He idolised him growing up, and he's still uh, a fan of his and a friend of his as well. Ric Flair, as we all know, is touted as a 16-time world heavyweight champion, even though the actual legit number is between 18 to 22, depending on which historian you choose to believe. But nonetheless, 16 times is the, tith- is the title that's attached to Ric Flair. Now, I half wonder if Triple H wants to accept John Cena as a 16-time world champion equal to his hero, Ric Flair. Um, so that that's just one of the things that's been in the back of my mind as to why John Cena has been stuck on 15 for quite a while now. Um, I actually think, though, that Seth Rollins will retain the title. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how um, it would be fitting for him to have a really lengthy title run, and I think that it would be too soon to finish that title reign at SummerSlam. I think it'll be an excellent match, but Rollins, for me, has to retain that belt. And um, in terms of where that goes from that point on, whether it's a continuation to the next big show between those two again, or whether we see Rollins go in a different direction, um, I actually think we'll probably see those two pair up again and have another match, perhaps a stipulation-type contest um, at the show in, big show in September. And if you also look at it, the recent booking of Rollins indicates to me that he'll retain the belt as well. I mean, he's looked very weak in his matches since Battleground, which could be setting him up for a win. He barely escaped uh, with Brock Lesnar because of the Undertaker interference. He lost to Cena clean in a U.S. title match. He barely beat Neville on Raw. Um, And Orton looked like he was ready to finish him off on Raw until Sheamus interfered. So, I mean, at some point, the guy's got to get a win because it's one thing to build him as a chicken shit heel. But it's another thing to just bury him completely with the title, which you don't want to do either. I hate when they make the champion look weak. I really do. I I just, like, when Rey Mysterio won the title both times, they made him look so weak that it was, you just, it it was totally unbelievable to have him as champion. Yeah, it's like, why do it in the first place? Exactly. Why, like, why put them in that position just to just crush them? Yeah. They have to, like... It's fair enough. Like with Rollins, I liked when they had like the authority around him, and you know he could cheat to win matches and stuff, and that was fine because you're not really making him look weak. You're just making him look like it, like you know, a horrible fucker. Um, I I love the idea of the long title reigns. For me, Punk holding the title for so long is one of the best things that's happened to wrestling in, in a long, long time because it puts real legitimacy in in this belt. It's meant to be, you know, the, the highest level you can reach in, in, in this industry. So I hate when they have, you know, these short reigns and guys, you know, dropping titles quickly. The one thing you've written down here, Matt, is, is the possibility of Seamus. Now, the one thing I wonder with that T-shirt and with the whole Seamus possibility and all that is maybe Cena beats Rollins. Seamus beats Cena. Sheamus is WWE champion and Cena remains US title holder. Ah. Oh. That's interesting. That is interesting. And and here's the thing. Sheamus is going to get involved. He's going to get involved because Sheamus, who is Mr. Money in the Bank, 
is not booked anywhere on mm. this card at all. Exactly. So, which is a big waste because there was the potential for a good match with him and Orton, which is fascinating because Orton is not booked. Is not booked either. And the one thing is, you sure. have to people like the often overlook. Sheamus is really close to Triple H. They work out together regularly. They're really good friends. He's in the good books. If if Triple H is the one making the decision on who the next champion is, Sheamus is going to be in his thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sheamus has been a good couple of years now without a world title. And uh, certainly the gimmick... Uh, was in a major need of upheaval and change, and it has gone through that change, and that's certainly been a good thing. Uh, even though um, his his choice of hairstyle is is in the quiet taste, perhaps, and uh, <laughs> has his, his <laughs> the beard. <laughs> yes, uh, but n- nonetheless, um, I, I, I'm glad that he's gone in a different direction, career character wise, and uh, I think his character has been refreshed. But um, whether they'll pull the trigger and um, make him champion again at SummerSlam, I just don't see it happening. I, I think that they are too committed to Seth Rollins and building him as a, a genuine main event heel uh, for him to lose the title so soon. And as we've talked about earlier, they are more um, focused on protecting their titles and especially that title um, than they had been in the past when it changed with alarming frequency. So whilst Sheamus could get into the mix, um, I think the likelihood is he'll probably have a separate match. I mean, we've only got so far seven matches announced and for a four hour show, um, especially with several Teddy long matches, um, that, that seems quite light. So I wouldn't be surprised if next week on Raw, we see, uh, Sheamus announced for a, a separate match and, um, it could be against somebody like it, uh, Randy Orton. Can I throw out a rough, like, just a completely off-the-wall idea here? The Cena-Rollins match ends in some sort of confusion. Sheamus comes down. People think Cena have won. He hands over his briefcase. He broke kicks Cena. He pins him. He thinks he's won the title. It turns out Rollins has actually won, is, is still the champion by whatever hook or by crook. And Sheamus walks out as the... US title holder because remember it's the money in the bank it's isn't it just a title shot it doesn't I, does it actually specify it's a world title shot or is it just a title shot that's a good question um it's it, because i listen i wasn't aware if you go back and 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 you look back at Seth Rollins winning the title at WrestleMania I wasn't aware that you could cash in and change the dynamic of a match, a mid-match, and he did that. He turned it into a triple threat. Yeah, that and was so, really cool. And and I think I think you could see that happen here with Sheamus, except Sheamus doesn't successfully cash it in. It protects Cena because he doesn't win, and Rollins gets to keep the title, setting mm. up a deal between Cena and Sheamus, so Rollins can move on and keep the belt for a longer period of time going into next year in WrestleMania season. And you could also find a way that Orton involves himself because he doesn't want Sheamus to win it. And maybe then he's the next one to go. That he, that ends his blowout with Sheamus, or maybe they have a match at the next pay-per-view, and then he moves on to Rollins and Cena and Sheamus end up Perhaps, in because, a program. Perhaps, and the thing is... um, 
there's a claim to be made for Randy Orton because if you think about it, Orton defeated Rollins on the same night that Rollins became WWE champion. Mm. Orton has never yeah. gotten that opportunity since then. So that's something to think about. I was looking up some statistics, though, because we were talking about the um, the 15 times that Cena's held the title. Out of his, the number of his title reigns, he's held the title a combined 1,240 days. Bruno San Martino had two reigns, held the title for over 4,000 days. That wow. just goes to show you the difference in eras right there. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, in this TV era um, where we want so much produce, um, we get the WWE title defending so frequently. I mean, back in the days of Bruno, it was all about Madison Square Garden and working that arena monthly, and that was a big show. And now it's all about, um, and it has been for a good 20, 30 years, about pay-per-views. And um, on top of that, TV is more about, um, it's certainly a, a bigger and more important thing than it was certainly in Bruno's day when it was just there to build up your house shows. So uh, it, it just goes to show what a completely different area we now are in. And um, 15 times, 10 times, 12 times, um, it, it's commonplace to see that, whereas in that era it was almost unimaginable. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that John Cena will break that record. I think as soon as Triple H um, <laughs> reconciles himself with um, his hero, Ric Flair's um, 16 title reigns being broken by Cena because uh, as we know and, and it was partly a shoot comment as well I think when Cena and Triple H had that match at WrestleMania a number of years ago um, Triple H did make that comment that um, he didn't really consider Cena as much of a worker uh, or worse to that effect and um, I think there was a bit of a, a bit of truth in that from Triple H's perspective and uh, I, I can't see that that's necessarily his view now. Cena is certainly a, a very, very, very good worker these days. But uh, nonetheless, he's a massive Ric Flair mark. And uh, the thought of John Cena or anyone for that matter equaling and then surpassing that record is, is something that I think he will have to um, accept. And um, I think when that happens, then Cena will equal and surpass it. Well, here we are, the main event. Uh, you know, it's... Uh... It's incredible because I I never thought we'd see this match. I, I, I honestly believe that when The Undertaker lost to Brock Lesnar two years ago, that would be his final match. But we are going to get Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar, the rematch as the main event of SummerSlam. Uh, it's, again, so many possibilities in this one. Gentlemen, uh, Mo, we'll start with you. What do you think is going to happen in this one? It's an amazing contest, isn't it? And... Uh... I I personally would like to see Brock Lesnar win again and make it two for zero against The Undertaker. There'll be a great temptation to get The Undertaker's win back to lead to a determining contest, possibly a Survivor Series, maybe even at WrestleMania. But I really personally wouldn't be too keen on that. And, and here's why. The Undertaker, when he appeared on Raw... Uh, several weeks ago looked really really old um and uh physically looks a shadow of his former self when he was the undertaker with a long hair with a massive physique he really carried that character fantastically really well when we recently saw the undertaker were that pull apart brawl with lesnar on raw it really didn't seem like um, a guy that is on lesnar's level even though in terms of the way that angle was booked, it was 
booked very much as two equals going at it. But for me, Brock Lesnar is a special attraction. He's a guy that comes in there and kicks everyone's ass. And if he was to lose to The Undertaker, a guy who's in his 50s, a guy who's broken down, who looks really old, who looks every bit of the age that he is, I think that would perhaps damage Lesnar and perhaps take away some of his um, special character and aura. So I would be keen to avoid the temptation of leading to a third determining contest um, and have Lesnar go over strong against The Undertaker, albeit that then lessens... Um, any attraction there might be for The Undertaker to have a farewell match at um, WrestleMania 32, which will be in his home state of Texas. So that's the counter-argument to Lesnar going over. It's so, OK, let's have The Undertaker win, and then let's see if uh, we can book that third, fight, third and final contest for a huge match at WrestleMania 32, where they've got to pack 100,000 pounds, uh, sorry, 100,000 fans, rather, into the Cowboy Stadium. Um, I think the only match that can happen at WrestleMania for Taker is Sting. And I, I just think it has to happen. I just think it's been too long in the making. It has to happen. And I wonder if maybe it starts at SummerSlam. Now, I, I don't think Sting will interfere in the match, but I could see Lesnar beating Taker clean and then Sting appearing into the ring and there being some sort of silent face-off and then Sting disappearing again and Taker looking all confused. And I think they'll start to build to, to Taker's Sting for WrestleMania. Um, I think this will be a fun match. Again, I agree with Mo. I, I thought Taker looked really old when he came out on Raw. The, the big pull-apart brawl they had was brilliant, but he, he just looked a, a little bit slow in his movements, which is, you know, that, it's okay. He's 50. He's, he's meant to look a little bit slow. Um, the only other thing I would say about this match is that the fact that this is going to be the headline match again, just just going back to the old school thing again, it, it just pushes the world title fight down and it, it should always be about the world title fight for me. That should always be your headline match, uh, except at the Rumble where the actual Rumble itself, I think, should be the headline match. But, you know, I can see why this this is the fight other the match that that's bringing in you know the crowd for, for this one but i would rather see the the world title fight as the headline act this is also in my mind where the sales where, where, where the process of selling wrestlemania begins and this is why i now want to bring in the rock i think we're going to see the rock on sunday night and i think the rock is going to get involved in this match somehow setting up rock brock at WrestleMania 32. That, right, that, 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 that protects Taker. Mm-hmm. Taker may have some beef with The Rock at the end because The Rock may be responsible for Taker getting the victory, and then Sting appears. What better way to go off the air at SummerSlam, uh, and what better sales pitch for WrestleMania 32 than Taker, Sting, Brock Lesnar versus Dwayne The Rock Johnson? And those are the two matches that can carry WrestleMania. Whatever else you can, you can just build everything else around that. If you have those two as your marquee matches, we know that there'll be you know a big world title match. Whoever's the champion versus obviously the the Rumble winner. And I hope they don't do this. This the thing they did last year where 
the guy wins the rumble and then they muck about and make him, you know, rewin his shot. If you know, the guy wins the rumble, the guy gets the shot. That's the way it's meant to be. Um, yeah, that that would be perfect. Rock comes out, interferes, or you know, causes Brock to lose. Brock and Rock go at it, take her stud in the ring, Sting appears, and you know, then everything just fades to black. Absolutely. Well, guys, um, you know, <laughs> SummerSlam is going to be a four-hour show, and it almost took half as long for us to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. it, it has been it has been a lot of fun. Before uh, before we wrap this up, there's a lot going on, Dave. I know you've got a lot going on, Mo. You've got some things as well. So this is the time where we do the shameless plugs. Mo, what you got for us? Well, once again, I'd um, just like to put my Twitter account out there, at Mo Chatra, M-O-C-H-A-T-R-A. Uh, follow me to um, hear my views about all types of uh, pro wrestling, not just WWE, but um, from around the US, Japan, and um, everywhere in between. And uh, MMA is something I've also been following since uh, 1994 in UFC 2, believe it or not. So I've always got a thing or two to say about that sport as well. So by all means, follow me via Twitter and uh, see what I've got to say. Dave, you've got uh, so many things going on right now. Why don't you tell the <laughs> listeners about it? Um, so obviously the Pro Wrestling Index is part of the Anfield Index. And Anfield Index, we've just launched our app. Um, this is two years of work in the making by Gags and a few other people, mainly Gags, though. The guy is just incredible. Um, the app is unbelievably good. It's it's only available on iTunes for now on Apple uh, format. It will be available on Android in a couple of months. Development is starting really soon. Um, so if you've got an iPhone, an iPad, whatever, just go download this app it will blow your mind how good it is it's totally free we're not going to charge you to listen to our podcasts um we want to keep them free for people to listen to so check that out i do the happy hour on um on the anfield index uh, with steve Gennaro, the joyologist from canada um we're cutting back a little bit just because it's hard to do with times and i'm doing a little bit more of the main ai pod as well so there'll be a little less happy hour but myself and Steve have started a new venture called All in Sports Talk. And it you know, it does exactly what it says in the tin. We're talking about all sports. This week we've got three shows out. Uh Major League Baseball, um, you know, focus on Major League Baseball. We do as another one where we talk about League On in France, and we chat with um a guy called Eli from a group called the Inebriati, who are a supporters club of the Toronto FC. And then we have a brilliant nfc west preview for nfl fans with anthony stalter who is from espn st louis um so we're just putting out three four shows a week on that um and it's wide ranging so check out the website allinsportstalk.com and follow us on twitter at allinsportstalk awesome well um first of all i just want to thank gags again for uh, giving uh giving me the opportunity to to do this program mo and i and um uh, it, it's really been awesome. 
to get exposed to new listeners all over the world. And uh, we hope that everyone's enjoying the content and they'll continue to uh, let us know what they think on Twitter and uh, even tweet at myself or Mo with suggestions and comments, questions, whatever the case may be. We'll feature them on uh, on future pods. So a couple of things I want to get uh, to real quick. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Topolski, T-O-P-O-L-S-K-I, very Polish. Um, you can also check out another podcast that I do daily. Um, it's a, it's a daily sports, sports entertainment and pop culture show that I do with my co-host from reality of wrestling, Brad Gilmore. And, uh, you can find out more about that. If you just go to opinionpodcast.com. uh, all of our episodes are archived up there. And then also check out what we're doing at realityofwrestling.com. We have a weekly episodic television of Booker T's show where, um, he is training the uh, the future sports entertainers of the world, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. So I hope everyone will check that out as well. And um, that's pretty much it. Thanks, guys, for for being a part of this. I had a, a a lot of fun. One of the one of the best pods I've ever done. I love it. So thank you. Oh, thank you as well. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, okay. Mo. Thanks, Dave. Hope you'll come back again in the future, guys. Um, and make sure you download that uh, that AI channel app. It is phenomenal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.